The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are presented by the SGPN Merch Store. Use promo code SGPNBA to get 10% off everything in the SGPN Store. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gam Podcast Network. It is currently late Saturday night, April 22nd, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Reichel, once again going solo for this pod. And it should be a fun one. we got three matches to go through. It is time to go through the finals in Banja Munich, and Barcelona. But before we get into any of those three match previews, do want to recap how we did on the semifinal episode. We did very well. In fact, we basically won everything uh, going through the actual... Lock and dog picks, we swept those, ended up having O'Connell to not win a set at minus 134. The not win a set prop is definitely the way to go when it comes to betting on two nothings. The reason why it's cheaper than two nothing is because you can't parlay it, but if you're straight betting it, you can easily save yourself 15, 20 cents pretty much every time just by taking the player prop section not to win a set instead of taking the player that you think is going to win to win two nothing not really sure why it works like that for most books but i guess the non-parlay tax does save you a bit of change there but either way o'connell got destroyed uh rune beat him comfortably and that was really never in doubt and then for the dog we ended up having musetti and city pass over Two and a half sets at plus 160, and that got there. Wasn't easy, as Sitsipas actually had a match point uh, with Musetti serving late in the second set, but he fought that off, and then he ended up breaking Sitsipas the following game, and Musetti held, and he ended up winning the second set 7-5. Then Sitsipas woke up again, and he destroyed him in the third set, but that doesn't matter for us. We ended up getting there, and as a result, we ended up sweeping the lock and dog picks. As for the other match predictions, overall went pretty well. Uh, Rublev won a little bit more comfortably than I thought, but I expected him to win 2 nothing against Mulcan, which he did. Uh, the only somewhat surprise was Lohovic, who ended up beating Kekmanovic. I thought Kekmanovic would get it done. I thought it would be close, though, and it was. Uh, but either way, Lohovic got the job done. Kekmanovic, from what I recall, was serving for the match and then ended up choking it and then lost the second set in a tiebreak. But the point is, you ended up seeing... Kekmanovic have a good opportunity to win that one in straight sets, and that did not end up working out in the end. So that was one thing we got wrong, but we did pick Van Zanschulp to really be competitive against Fritz, and he won that one outright. Uh, we thought Sissipas would win competitively. We thought Alcaraz was going to win, so we didn't even bother breaking it down uh, because the odds were crazy, and he won 6-2, 6-2. So yeah, pretty much got everything right on yesterday's episode besides the uh, Lahovic match, but that was a lean and once again, Kekmanovic had a great chance to actually win that in straight sets and then ended up punting the second set away. So very, very close to basically sweeping the entire episode, including the leans. But we'll have to settle for getting almost every pick right mixed in with the uh, lock and dog sweep. So if you have been keeping track, then you already know this. But if you have not been keeping track, that was our third lock and dog sweep out of the last four episodes. So we've been doing very well, and hopefully we'll keep it rolling in this episode. But time to actually get into the previews. It's going to be a relatively short episode because, to be honest, you have a couple of really big favorites. You have a minus 400 favorite, you have a minus roughly 360 favorite, and you have another minus 400 favorite. So the question is, do I think any of these decent-sized long shots actually have a shot to win the match on Sunday. So starting off in, chronolog in chronological order, we're going to go based on the times, and it's actually easy uh, to break it down in order because unlike previous episodes, we have 
different start times for each tournament. So we're going to start off in Munich, then we're going to move over to Banjaluka, and then we're going to move over to Barcelona. And to be honest, Barcelona is the best match, so we're going to we're going to save that one for last. But either way, starting off in Munich, you have Rune taking on Vinzenschulp. Uh, Dzanschulp, and at the end of the day, Rune is a big favorite. He's minus 400. Uh, Dzanschulp is a plus 320 the other way on the money line. As for the spread, Rune is minus four and a half at plus 115. Dzanschulp is plus four and a half at minus 135. Over under is 20 and a half. Over is slightly juiced at minus 120. Under is even money of 420 and a half. And if you want to take some alt lines, you can get 21 and a half. Over is minus 105. Under is minus 125. Uh, you can also get Rune to win in straight sets at minus 130. Dzanschulp to win a set is plus 100. And three sets in this match is plus 170. Uh, to go through any of the, first of all, upset talk. I don't see much. I'll be honest here. Now, Dzanschulp, we thought, would end up having a good run against Fritz because I thought the line was a bit sketchy. I thought that Fritz also was playing a bunch of tennis since he had a deep run in Monte Carlo, and I did like the way Dzanschulp was playing. So I do think at the end of the day, he has looked very comfortable here. Now, I will concede he hasn't faced the greatest competition before the matchup against Fritz, beat Karatsev, who once again is a bit of a head case, and beat Giron. Giron is a decent clay player, not great. The Fritz one's impressive, don't get me wrong, so that's a very impressive win there. But Rune, you're looking at his results... And he ended up beating Hoffman in straight sets, beat Green in straight sets, and beat O'Connell in straight sets. Now, O'Connell is uh, was a bit of a Cinderella story, so you can make an argument that win isn't as impressive. O'Connell's been decent on clay, though, so far this season. The first two rounds are impressive because Hoffman has had a good year on clay in 2023, and Green, we know, is very good on clay when he's on, and Green hasn't playing good tennis for the last couple of months. So those two wins in dominating fashion, I think, are impressive. Uh, the O'Connell one, you could argue, isn't as impressive, and we thought Rune would smack him. Now, it is a little bit, uh, I'd say, interesting that Dzanschulp has not dropped a set in this event. So actually, neither guy's dropped a set in this event. So you have seen both guys look extremely comfortable in Munich. Now, I do think, based on the overall crowd since nobody in this actual event is German. I'm assuming most of the crowd will be supporting uh, Rune because Rune is the defending champion here. Uh, in fact, it's actually kind of funny because this is the exact same matchup we got in the final last year. The only problem was Dzanschulp only played seven games and then got injured and then retired. So we have an exact rematch of the final last year. And Rune won that one by technicality. But you're looking at how these players have actually performed just overall in their clay careers. We know Rune is a much better clay player. And I do think at the end of the day, when you see the dust settle, I think Rune will be standing and I think he'll probably end up winning this match. I don't want to say comfortably. I do think you could see a bit of a war here for a set or two. So if you want to make an argument for Dzanschulp to win a set... I wouldn't necessarily hate it because I do think this match will be competitive. I'm not going to lay the four and a half games. Uh, I do think that four games is interesting. There is a chance Rune just boat races them, but I don't see that happening. I think it will be close. You might get a 7-6 set in there. But I do think Rune, based on overall talent, not even just based on ETP ranking, but from what we've seen, we know Rune has a much higher ceiling than Dzanschulp, and I do think that you're going to end up seeing some of that ceiling in this match. I'm not picking the upset. 
I think Rune is going to win. I think he'll probably win in straight sets, but I do think you can see a tiebreaker in there. So I do think that Rune minus 130 is worth a look uh, just because he, he can win a couple of competitive sets and still get it done. Uh, but for the sake of this match, I think it will be competitive. I'm not going to predict Dezanchelp to avenge his defeat last year because I don't even know how much there is to avenge. He got hurt, so there wasn't really much to read into. Now, at the time that you ended up seeing the stoppage of play, it was 4-3 Dezanchelp, but Rune was serving, and it was 40-15. So they were about to be tied. There were a bunch of breaks. Uh, that you, had th- you had four breaks of serve in the first seven games, so you had a bunch of break opportunities. So if you want to go with that approach, you can get the over in total breaks of serve in the match at four and a half at minus 155. That I don't mind. I know it's juiced, but we cashed easily on the breaks of serve props in that uh, Rune and Rublev final in Monte Carlo. It's on clay, and at the end of the day, you're going to see a bunch of breaks of serve, but once again, four breaks of serve in the first seven games last year in the matchup. I do think tells you you might see a lot of difficult service games for these guys. And I do think you're going to end up seeing as a result, a lot of breakpoint chances. So I will go with the over four and a half breaks of serve at minus 155 as my favorite prop bet for this match. But anyway, once again, I'm taking Rune uh, to winning straight sets. And if you want to go for the spreader or the total, I think I'm going to stay away because once again, I can visualize a tiebreaker or a seven, five set here. So I think I'm going to stay away from there, but just give me Rune to win in straight sets at minus 130. Now, moving on to Bonjaluka, you have a fun a fun matchup between Rublev and uh, Cinderella Story Lahovich. Rublev is minus 365 on the money line. Uh, Lahovich is plus 300. As for the spreads, Rublev is minus 4.5 at minus 105. Lahovich is plus 4.5 at minus 115. For the games, 21.5, minus 110 on both sides. Uh, you can get some alt lines. 22.5 is plus 115. Uh, under 22.5 is minus 145. If you want Rublev to win in straight sets, that's minus 135. Uh, Lahovich to win a set is plus 105. And three sets is a plus 155. Uh, so for the head-to-head, they have faced off twice in their careers, and Lahovich is actually undefeated against him. Now, one matchup was in 2016. The other matchup was in 2019, both on clay. So the surface was right. The problem is it was so long ago that it was before Rublev became a serious top 10, borderline top five player. So I'm not sure how much stocking put into it because, once again, one matchup was roughly seven years ago, and the other one was roughly four years ago. But the point is, I do think for the sake of this overall match, the main concern for Lahovich might be fatigue because he's had a couple of marathon matches recently. He had the nice upset of winning against Djokovic in straight sets, but that match was long and competitive because both sets were very close. So I do think you can see Lahovich struggle physically, especially after that war against Kikmanovic yesterday. So fatigue might be a bit of a concern. Now, Rublev, of course, made a deep run in Monte Carlo. However, he did have a bye in the first round, so he ended up having a couple of days off in between those two events. So he has looked very sharp, and I do think he'll look sharp once again. But you're looking at Lahovich's run, three-setter against Krajinovic, and that was that was separated in the middle of... That was uh, divided amongst two days because of how long the day one slate went. So they had to play that partly for two days, then ended up beating Brary in straight sets, beat Djokovic in that very competitive two-setter, 
and then once again beat Kekmanovic in three sets. But the Djokovic match took two hours and 29 minutes, so that's a relatively long time on the court. And then the match yesterday against Kekmanovic took even longer than that, and it makes sense because that was uh, a match where every set had at least 10 games. That match took roughly three hours. That was two hours and 59 minutes. Meanwhile, Rublev had a walk in the park against Mokan uh, in yesterday's match, uh, or I should say Saturday's match, uh, but the point is he won easily. You ended up having uh, him beat Zoomer. That was a bit competitive, but Zoomer's also the home country guy, so he was a bit fired up to start off the match, but then Rublev woke up and really destroyed him for the last hour, and he beat Varia 6-2-6-2. So the point is, Rublev has really been... Uh, off the court a lot quicker than Lahovic has for the entire event. And I do think that's going to pay some dividends here. Now, I do think if you want to talk about the straight set option for Rublev at minus 135, I'm not going to stop you. Lahovic has looked good in this event, but I think Rublev's just better. Lahovic isn't a great server. We know the one-handed backhand's very good. But I do think Rublev just has the powerful forehand, the backhand. He's also a good server. I think you can make an argument it will be a competitive two sets once again. But once again, I don't think I can take an underdog here because I think Rublev's going to win. It's just a, a simple equation that I don't see a realistic world where Lahovich is going to be able to outlast a, an informed Rublev, arguably the best form of his entire career, after having two straight marathon matches while Rublev has kind of cakewalked his way through the entire tournament. I don't see Lahovich doing well here. I think he might start off early. If you wanted to take Lahovich in any capacity, I'd probably consider the first set if I had to pick an angle. But once again, I'm not even giving that out. I just think Rublev the, is the better player. I think he'll show it, and I think he'll probably win this one in straight sets. Maybe like a 6-4, 6-4 type match, but based on the current form, I got to go with Rublev to get it done in what's most likely going to be straight sets. But in reality, I think he's probably going to win this match with some difficulty, but not enough for anybody to really put the upset alert, uh, you know, notifications on. I, I think Rublev wins this one in probably straight sets as well. Uh, sorry if you expected me to pick some type of serious upset in this episode, but uh, I have to go with the matchup. And as of right now, I think Rune and Rublev have good matchups. Moving on to the headliner match of the card, you have two top five players going against each other as Alcaraz is taking on Sitsipas in Barcelona, and that should be starting at roughly 10 a.m. Eastern time. And even though you have two top five players who are very good on clay, uh, the odds are still basically the same as the first two matches. In fact, Alcaraz is the same exact money line favorite as Arune is in his match. Alcaraz is minus 400 on the money line. Sitsipas is plus 320. As for the game spread, Alcaraz is minus 4 at minus 120. Sitsipas is plus 4 at even money. As for the games, 21.5 minus 110 on both sides. If you want some alt lines, 22.5 is plus 120 on the over. Unders minus 150. Three sets is plus 165, and Alcaraz to win in straight sets is minus 145. Paz to win a set is plus 115. So looking at the head-to-head -head here, Alcaraz has owned Paz in their careers, and it wasn't even when Alcaraz was number one in the world. In fact, it was actually either last year or in 2021. The first matchup was the, was the uh, match where Alcaraz kind of became a well-known commodity 
amongst the tennis community. A lot of people knew uh, the hype surrounding him, but you ended up seeing it on a grand on a grand slam scale when Alcaraz was able to beat him in the U.S. Open. Very fun match. Ended up going five sets in the round of 32. In fact, it went to a final set tiebreaker, but Alcaraz won. And then after that, Alcaraz has been doing well against him ever since because they played in 2022 in Miami, and Alcaraz won that one seven five six three in the round of 16. And they did face off on this exact same court last year in 2022, and Alcaraz did win. However, it was a three-setter. Alcaraz won that one six four five seven six two. So Sitsipas has had some success, quote-unquote, against Alcaraz. He ran out of gas in the third set. And Alcaraz, we know, is a much better player than he was last year at this time, but he was still very good at this time last year. So, since he paused, I do think, I'd say out of all of the underdogs that I mentioned, I would say he probably has the best chance of winning, but that's solely based on the fact that he's a top five player. And once again, his competition is Dezane, Schulp, and Lahovich. So, that's really not saying anything. Uh, since he is a top five player and he is good on clay. Now, I think Alcaraz is going to win. Simply put, it's his home country. The crowd's going to be fully behind him. And based on how good Alcaraz looked in the semis, truth is the entire overall tournament, he's had a very easy draw. Now, he didn't look the sharpest against Batista Agut, and he didn't look the sharpest against Fakina, but he won both those matches in straight sets. And then he ended up beating Evans 6-2, 6-2. The match was over very quickly. Sissipas had a war. He had to go three sets against Musetti, so I wonder if fatigue's going to play a factor. But it was a classic Sissipas match where he was able to get the job done, but he had a chance to end the match early. He failed. Then he choked the service game right after, and he lost the second set. It felt like Sissipas handed away the second set, and we know Sissipas' problem with regard to his game is mostly mental. But if you want to talk about his overall uh, issues on the court... Still a lot of unforced errors, on particularly the backhand side. And he doesn't always get the greatest amount of depth on his returns. And I do think at the end of the day, if he's going to hit a lot of short balls, you don't want to do that with Alcaraz because he has such variety, such power, and he also can give you a drop shot when you're not expecting it. So I do think Sitsipas' issue in this match is going to be the lack of depth, particularly on the backhand side. I think he's going to really allow accidentally... Alcaraz to come forward with ease, and I think eventually Alcaraz will be able to push Tsitsipas around the court. Now, do I think Alcaraz is guaranteed to win this in straight sets? No, because we saw Tsitsipas win a set last year on this exact same court, so I do think that you can make an argument that Tsitsipas to win a set might have some value at around plus 115, and once again, he is a very good clay court player. It's not like you're taking a scrub uh, to take a set off of Alcaraz here. Alcaraz has had some unforced error issues, so maybe if that comes up again, Sitsipas can sneak by him. I don't see that happening, though. I just think that at the end of the day, in long rallies, I trust Alcaraz more. I think Sitsipas is going to blink on a couple of big points, which he always does, and Alcaraz does play big points better than probably 98, 99% of the other ATP Tour members. You can argue, you know, Djokovic is the master of that, but uh, based on recent form and the injuries, uh, Djokovic I'll per- currently pass on just fully evaluating under that same scale because Djokovic, once again, at full strength, is the clutchest player on the Tour. Uh, it's either him or Nadal when healthy, but truth is Nadal, I've said it before, I don't think he'll ever be able to return to his former self. And the fact that he keeps pushing back his return is extremely concerning. And that kind of does support my 
a grim outlook on his initial injury. But still, the point is based on current form active players. Djokovic, for the sake of this, I'll call inactive because he's not going to play in Madrid uh, next week. But still, based on current form and based on just current reputation, Alcaraz is one of the clutchest players on the tour. And I think it's pretty safe to say that Tsitsipas is viewed as being a relative choker. Now, it isn't like an insane amount of choking. There are players who have been worse than him at closing out matches, but every now and then Tsitsipas will have a really bad punt job or he will just blow a good opportunity to break and potentially win a set. It feels like in big moments, Alcaraz plays some of his best tennis and Tsitsipas plays some of his worst or least consistent. I think that's the story of the match. I think that it will be close, but I think that Tsitsipas will eventually get broken. I think Alcaraz takes a lead and I wonder if Tsitsipas has the mental resolve to come back if things start to go against them. If Alcaraz wins the first set, do I think Tsitsipas responds and wins the second set? I don't know, but I do think that you can make an argument since Alcaraz has owned him 3 nothing in the head-to-head that mentally Tsitsipas might check out at some point or at least lose focus for a little while. And if you do that against Alcaraz and you accept your fate, then Alcaraz will destroy you and open up a double break lead in a set. So for the sake of this overall match, I think the value is probably going to be on... Uh, it's really tough, honestly. I think the value is probably on Sitsipas, like plus four and a half and minus 130 or something, or maybe him to, to win a set of plus 115. I'm not picking him to win the match, but I do think it's a bit disrespectful that a top five player in the world whose best service is on clay is getting this disrespected by the odds. Now, if Alcaraz won in straight sets and he won 6-3, 6-3, would I be shocked? No, I didn't say that. But I think Sitsipas is good enough on clay to make this match interesting. And if Alcaraz has the unforced error issues that we saw in the first two rounds, then I do think Sitsipas can find a way to make this match close. Am I picking him to win? Once again, no. So it's going to be a bit of a boring episode because I'm picking the favorite to win every match. But it's a minus 400 favorite for good reason. You can argue that it's trappy in that sense because Alcaraz is borderline number one in the world. If not, he's about to be because Djokovic isn't going to play in Madrid. So Alcaraz should pass him. But the point is, since he passed, is still a top five player in the world. Musetti is still a very good clay court player. So I'm not going to fully roast since he passed for having a bit of a war in yesterday's match. And we know that Musetti is a much better clay player than Evans, for example. But still, Sitsipas had a match point to win in straight sets against a good clay court player. He has looked comfortable in this event. I think the value is probably on Sitsipas. Uh, but once again, that's game spread and set spread. I'm not talking about the money line. I don't think Sitsipas is going to win. But that's going to wrap it up for this episode. Time to actually get into the lock and dog picks. But before you get into any of that, kind of a quick word from our sponsor. We're brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. The NBA and NHL playoffs are here, and what better way to get down on some player prop parlays than over at Underdog Fantasy? Besides daily NHL, NBA, and MLB games, they've also already got NFL best ball drafts with a guaranteed half million in prizes. Head over to UnderdogFantasy.com and use the promo code SGPN for a 100% deposit bonus up to $100. So UnderdogFantasy.com, promo code SGPN. We're also brought to you by the SGPN Merch Store in honor of the NBA playoffs from now until the end of April. Get 10% off everything in the SGPN Merch Store when you use the promo code SGPNBA. So head over to store.sportsgampodcast.com. 
sportsbook.com and use the promo code SGPNBA to get 10% off everything. Also, I have to mention that I just got myself a brand new NBA Gambling Podcast shirt, of course, because we know that I'm on the show. So I figured I might as well end up dressing well in, well, let's just say show attire. And I can tell you right now, it's one of the most comfortable shirts that I have. Extremely soft, extremely breathable. Highly recommend if you are looking for something to buy during the upcoming spring and summer months. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Before we went on break, we ended up previewing all three of the events and the final taking place on Sunday. Now it's time to get into the actual picks. We've been very hot in this segment lately, once again, sweeping in three of the last four episodes. So let's keep it rolling. However, I will concede that since I like the favorites to win in each of these matches, the dog was pretty tricky. In fact, for the actual lock and dog picks, both the lock and the dog, I kind of went with props on this one. There are a couple of props that I really like, so I'm going to focus on those. Starting off with the lock, I'm going to go to the Rublev and Wachowicz match, and I'm going to go with Rublev under four and a half aces at minus 145. Sounds very obscure, but it is for good reason. It's mostly based on how good Wachowicz has been at his actual at his ability to prevent aces. So starting off with the head-to-head matches, once again, bit dated. One was in 2019, one was in 2016. But in those two matches, uh, Rublev had zero aces in 2019 and two aces in 2016. So if that means anything to you, there you go. But to focus on the actual matches in this event, he did well serving-wise against Molkan. He had five against Molkan. He only had one against Dezumer, and he had three against Varias. Now, to go through... Uh, Lahovich's numbers for his opponents. Uh, his opponents have really not done well at getting aces against him in the three-hour in the uh, three-hour marathon against Kekmanovic yesterday. Kekmanovic only had three aces. Djokovic only had three aces. Bereri had zero, and Krajinovic had zero as well. Uh, to go through Monte Carlo, if you want to go even further, the uh, Papyron's a good server, so he went well over. Umber's a good server. That was a three-setter. He only had three. Souza had two. Uh, to go even into hard court, Alcaraz, we know, is a good server. He only had three. Cressy, we know, is a good ace guy, mostly a serving volley guy, but it was on hard court, which should benefit Cressy. And yet he only had five. So even though that sounds like a decent number because it was over this posted total, it was on hard court against a very good server. And once again, Cressy only had five. So the point is, Lahovich is very good at preventing aces. He stands very far back on the court in its return position, and I do think that's going to pay some dividends here for the sake of this prop. Now, Rublev, once again, if he wins in straight sets like we think he's going to do, then you have less service games to worry about. Like, if Rublev wins this match 6-2-6-3, that's good for us anyway, because that means that Lahovich is going to face less service games because you're assuming that Rublev is going to a break serve a couple of times for Lahovich, and he'll be able to open up a huge lead. So the point is... There are a couple of ways to get there. Either Rublev dominates and he has less service points to potentially ace Lahovich on, or you have a marathon and Lahovich showcases his ability to prevent aces because he constantly gets rackets on serves. So for that, those two reasons, I'm going to go with Rublev under four and a half aces of minus 145 as my lock. And for my dog, going to go to a similar prop. It's going to be the Rune and Dezanschalt match. And for this one, going to take the total number of aces at four and a half. We're going to take the under at plus 115. Once again, very, very limited sample size because the match got called after roughly eight games last year on this exact court between these guys in the final. However, in those eight games or so, 
You saw zero aces, and this number's four and a half. Now, both guys are pretty lengthy. Rune is listed at 6'2", Dezan Schultz at 6'3". So both guys should be able to reach and get rackets on serves. Now, of course, I'm not saying that every serve they'll be able to return, but zero aces through eight games combined, and yet this number's at four and a half juice to the over. I disagree with it. I think you're going to see a very small number of aces here. And I do think as a result, I'm going to try to jump on what I think is a mispriced line and take the plus 115 on the under. Now, just to quickly look at the actual ace numbers for both guys, starting off with Rune in this event against O'Connell, he had three. O'Connell only had one, uh, so that's four total. Uh, against Green, he had two. Green only had one, so that's three. And against Hoffman, Hoffman's a good server. Hoffman had zero, and Rune had two. So Rune's gone under this number in the combined aces category in each of his three matches here, which I think is definitely worth noting. Now for Dezanschulp, uh, he gave up seven to Fritz, but Fritz we know is a very good server. He only had two against Fritz. Against Giron, Giron had two. Dezanschulp only had one. And against Karatsev, Karatsev had two, and Zanchulp had three. Karatsev, though, is a decent server. So the point is, I think you're going to end up seeing a decent amount of rackets on serves, but it's mostly just trying to find a value play. Once again, I like all the favorites, so it's it's tough to find a dog in this situation. But I'm going to go with, an, with a pretty, let's say, creative play, and I'm going to go with the head-to-head history, as small as it might be, on this court which involves zero aces in roughly eight games. So once again, the lock for the show is going to be on Rublev under four and a half aces at minus 145, and the dog will be Rune and Dezanschulp under four and a half combined aces at plus 115. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. As for the schedule next week, we have one big tournament. It will be the Masters 1000 event in Madrid. It's a bit of an unfortunate tournament this time around because you have no Djokovic and no Nadal, which sucks, and it kind of steals some of the luster away from this event. But he still should have good players because it's a Masters 1000 event. Alcaraz will probably be favored because it's his home country. But the point is, we'll cover that event next week. It will be longer than a one-week event. So we should be breaking it down either one episode every round or uh, every other round, or starting with the quarters, we'll cover every single round from there. Probably every other day is what we'll aim for, but we'll see. The point is there's a lot of tennis to go through, and we'll be covering some of it because it is going to be one of the biggest tournaments of the year that is not a Grand Slam event. So that's going to be our schedule. Those are the picks for the show. Until next time, you can find me on Twitter, Right Show Radio. You can find me on the NBA show, the NFL show, of course, this show. And soon, the WNBA show just starting up in about two months. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.